Welcome to Shear Jashub, brought to you by the Church Fellowship of Shear Jashub Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut, and featuring the teaching ministry of Pastor Greg Scalzo. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and today we will be continuing with the in-depth Through the Bible series entitled Heavenly Authority. So let's join my husband, Pastor Greg, as he begins the Sunday Sermon. Okay, we left off last time in 1 Samuel chapter 8 with the Israelite people's call for a king so that they could be like all the nations around them and how the Lord tells Samuel that it is not him, but it's the Lord that they have rejected. He says, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And he goes on to compare it to idolatry. But he says, nevertheless, heed their voice, but solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. And Samuel warns the people. And in verse 19 of 1 Samuel chapter 8, it says in verse 19, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us. And then down to verse 21, And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord, so everything's being repeated. That is very clear that what they're doing is understood. They understand the penalty for what they're doing, what's going to come upon them. He repeats it before the Lord to know that they've agreed they want this king. And it says in verse 22, So the Lord Yahweh said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. Verse 22. And then in chapter 9, it goes on to tell us about Saul, who would be made the first king of Israel. So we have here a transition period. Samuel is the last of the real anointed judges. We know he made his sons judges for a short time, but he's the last of the real anointed judges. And he becomes the first of a line of prophets, the office of a prophet. We know he's a prophet from early on back in Shiloh. But he becomes the first of a line of prophets that would bring the word of God before the king and before the people of Israel. In Acts chapter 3, Peter preached how Moses told about the Messiah. And then he says in verse 24, he says, yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold of these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So when Peter speaks about the law, he speaks about Moses, and then when he speaks about the prophets, he starts with Samuel. All the prophets from Samuel 
and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. So it's the end of the judges, the start of the kingship, a transition, and also the real clear outward start of the office of prophecy, and Samuel starts this new era of the prophets. Paul, later on in Acts chapter 13, and I'll read now from the NIV because it's slightly different than the New King James when it comes to where the time clause is placed. Let me read from Acts chapter 13, verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers and made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country and endured their conduct 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges, and we've studied that over the weeks, until the time of Samuel the prophet. The judges go up to Samuel until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. Okay, we'll stop there. God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. So this transition, Samuel the last judge, right at the point of the change. And now we know Samuel is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. He's been anointed judge. He is a prophet. And all three, remember we said, are a type of the ministry of Messiah Jesus. But ultimately, in the New Testament scriptures, Samuel will be called Samuel the prophet. Because now his last office takes on a very special role that's necessary with the kingship in Israel to have the prophet who would be able to bring the word of God as a double check on the king. Establishing the kingship, Samuel will be the first in a great line of Hebrew prophets. And with his ministry, from this point on, the office of the prophet, as we said, has been established. And we'll read uh, soon about Nathan, the prophet at the time of David. We'll read about Gad, the prophet. And the line goes on and on through all the major prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, the minor prophets, who are not minor, it's just the books are shorter. The office of the prophet right up to the time of John the Baptist is being established with Samuel. The judgeship ends, the kingship starts, and with the kingship comes the office and ministry of the prophet. And there will be a tension from this point on between God's anointed prophet and the king. And the king is anointed also. We'll see Saul is anointed. And if the king strays from God's way, there will be a prophet raised up to announce God's word 
to the king and to Israel and give the Lord's rebuke. Okay, before we discuss Saul and before we discuss his kingship, we want to take a few minutes to understand the kingship. We've said that the people will get the ruler, the people will get the king that they deserve. And even beyond that statement, there is an association between the king and his people. There is a symbolism, there is a connection, as though as leader, the king represents in a corporate way the people he rules. To give you an example of this, we have to go back in our study to the time of Joshua. But to go back to the time of Joshua to appreciate what we'll look at, we have to go back a little further and read something in Leviticus chapter 18. Because we're going to look at how the Israelites had their victory in the promised land of Canaan. And they drove out the nations that were before them. And you say, well, why did God allow those nations to be driven out? If you look in Leviticus chapter 18, and this is background for what we want to look at today. It says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. And he goes on to say, verse 6, None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. And it lists from verse 6 all different types of incests between parents and children and siblings. Now, what is that? Those were the doings of the people in Canaan that they were going to go into and push those people out of the land and take over the promised land. Incest was one of the characteristics of the Canaanites. In verse 18, you have polygamy. In verse 20, you have adultery. In verse 21, it says, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire of Moloch, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. They would take their children and sacrifice in the fire their children to this pagan god. Incest, polygamy, adultery, the slaughter of children. Verse 22, homosexuality. Verse 23, bestiality. These are the doings of the people in the land of Canaan. It says in verse 24, Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these the nations are defiled which I am casting out before you. So it told clearly right there that the nations that were before them from the promised land have all these things, incest, polygamy, adultery, sacrifice of children, homosexuality, bestiality, as a characteristic, a common 
occurrence in their land. And he says in verse 25, For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of this iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done, who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. So he warns them, do not be like those people, because as judgment comes upon them, it will also, he says to the Hebrews, come upon you. Also to understand what we'll read, we need to look at Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verse 22. It says, if a man has committed a sin deserving of death, the capital punishment, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree, but you shall surely bury him that day, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance for he who is hanged or he who hangs on a tree is accursed of God. It will be exciting to hear how this information will tie into the conquest of Canaan and our study of the kingship. So join Pastor Greg next time on Shi'ar Jashub. And as always, you can join us at 10 a.m. in Madison, Connecticut for Sunday service.